0: This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's patreo dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek
1: Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM.
0: Trip ready when you
1: are prepare for warp course laid in, sir
2: request permission to get underway. Let's go.
1: Welcome, boomers and fans of Enterprise, to the very first show of the new year, 2016. I hope that everyone had a fantastic holiday season filled with, of course, multiple viewings of Enterprise. And we have a great show in store for you tonight, the very first show of the year. Speaking of rewatches, now, you know what's happening on the Babel Conference and for all of Trek FM. We're doing a comprehensive rewatch podcast called From There to Here, the Star Trek 50th Anniversary Rewatch. And by the end of this podcast recording and when it gets published, the rewatch is going to be probably at the end of Season 1 of Enterprise, so there's no better time to connect or even reconnect with the crew of the NX-01 than now. And as a matter of fact, um, what we'll be discussing on this episode coincides with this rewatch, because we will be discussing the first six episodes of Enterprise Season 1, and I've titled this particular show space, the final frontier, because that's really what is happening at the beginning of Enterprise Season 1. From Broken Bow, the two-parter, to Terra Nova, we discuss pretty much how the nxo one crew finds its footing, stumbles before it runs, and generally gets into the swing of their mission. So before we go into that And future shows will continue discussions of the overall themes of this particular season and then subsequent seasons. But before we go into that, I would like for my esteemed co-host, Will Wynn, who is sitting with me today, along with Jeffrey Harlan, Mr. Ataz, Mike Morrison from Metatrex, and Floyd Dorsey, associate producer for Warp 5. These are the gentlemen that are in the conference room tonight. And we will get to their feedback in a second. But Will, please... Give us a moment here to tell all of our listeners about how they can listen and find Trek FM across subspace.
3: You can find us on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can always stream or download the MP3 file from our website, Trek.FM, and grab the RSS link as well. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. That makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. And if you like what you hear on Warp 5 or any of the other Trek FM network shows, please leave us your rating and a review, which helps us increase our visibility for new listeners.
1: Awesome. And yes, we have so many different ways to be able to connect with you, our listeners. You can find us there. And then please, 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 we love hearing from you. So there are going to be a multitude of ways for you to be able to contact us. And we will talk about that towards the end of the episode. Now, Floyd, you and I have been talking about this particular format for a while. So could you please let everyone know these first six episodes, why do you think these episodes are as important for us to discuss in terms of the general block of why we're talking about the first season?
4: Well, what I was thinking on this, we get started, how far out are we reaching? Enterprise gets a good, really good start uh, with just just going out and seeing new things. I mean, it's getting the exploration, it's getting the seeking new civilizations, it's really... Um, It really does it. I mean, it gets right out there. We've got everybody's new, the ship's new, the procedures or lack thereof are new. And I, I just, I thought, you know, that would be an overarching theme for these first few episodes. I think it's
1: actually really nice that we start with the chronological aspect of the rewatch and enterprise being the first chronologically, the last broadcast wise. So The six episodes we're talking about tonight are going to be Broken Boat parts one and two. That was the two-part pilot that really set the stage for what is happening with the show. Then we have Fight or Flight, Strange New World, Unexpected, and Terra Nova. And we have talked about these episodes at length individually on, on previous episodes of Warp 5. But in terms of the overall thrust of these, what I want for all of the conference members to talk about tonight is just the generality of how these all work together in terms of laying this particular panoramic scope of literally going into the unknown with the best possible training that they could have, literally being theoretical because they have never run into situations like this before. So let's start off with Jeff. Jeff, the impressions then during your initial rewatch, because you just finished another rewatch, didn't you not?
2: Uh, Yes, I just finished watching season one uh, with my wife just uh, like last night.
1: (laughs) So it's pretty fresh in your head. So what was what was your first impression of these six episodes during during your rewatch? And when you first saw it, has your opinion changed since you first saw it? Has it grown over time with you? Has time healed all wounds, as they say? Because I know a lot of people are coming back to Enterprise because of the distance of time. Well, you've mentioned this before in several of our previous shows. So how did you feel about it this time around, Jeff?
2: I enjoyed it the first time a whole lot. Uh, I, I wasn't too crazy about the theme song when it first came on, but that grew on me over time. I finally had gotten used to it, but and then they changed it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, I, I'm totally at ease with the, uh, the theme song now, especially after the first few episodes, I stopped and thought about it, and I examined the lyrics, and the lyrics fit so well with... The theme of the show in that they're, you know, exploring and it's it the opening credits. It's showing the progression of human exploration over the centuries and that fits directly into the whole thrust of the series. And I, I thought it was really appropriate in retrospect, but when I first heard it, I, I didn't care for it as much, no, uh, it, but in- I, I really did enjoy the show when it first aired and I enjoyed it again just as much when I watched it. From
1: these first six episodes that we're discussing, was there a standout episode for you?
2: Um, I really liked the pilot. It, it just set the stage for everything that was to come throughout the series. You know, the temporal cold war, the tensions with the Klingons, and uh, everything else that they had going on. And I thought that was really good. It also showed how inexperienced these people are, because... They're rushing out of space dock to take this Klingon back home, and they have no clue whatsoever about Klingon culture.
1: Now, Mike, I'm going to pose that same question to you, your impressions, because I know when you came on as associate producer, one of the things that was in your um, part of that perks package from Patreon.com was to choose the show that you wanted to support, you and Floyd, because you both came on as associate producers around the same time. Mm -hmm. You chose Warp 5 for your show. And this had to have made an impression on you in order to do so, because at the level that you chose to become a patron, that's quite an investment from you. So, why Warp Five? And did these shows, these first six shows, make that type of an impression for you to basically become such a stalwart supporter of this particular show of the series?
0: Well, why why Warp Five? Uh, first of all, I'll address that first. Um, in terms of the shows on Trek FM, I have always enjoyed the discussion uh, surrounding Enterprise. Enterprise next to next to TOS, Enterprise is, is my favorite series bar none, and I, I think it really captures as a as a Star Trek series the spirit of human exploration the excitement uh, for some of the crew members and the trepidation for others. I, I think there was a, a, a genuine um, feel in the course of, especially these first few episodes, you have trip and it's funny. I, I just watched uh strange new world and I'm sorry, fight or flight. I just watched fight or flight and, you know trip was so uh just gung ho excited he wanted to get out there and make that first contact in fact he he made a sarcastic uh comment in sick bay you know we we've been out here 2 weeks already and the only thing we've made first contact with is a is a slug <laughs> So, you know, he's just gung ho. He's excited to get out there. And then you have Hoshi, who's not really your run of the mill uh, Starfleet uh, cadet. Uh Hoshi's almost more civilian than she is Starfleet. Her her passion is languages, and that's kind of what got her wrangled into this. And I think while Hoshi gets slammed a lot by fans, I think Linda Park really hit the nail on the head as far as this char- character is concerned, uh, because you can imagine that. That there were uh there were crew members on in x o one who were experiencing some trepidation some fear about going out and and exploring these strange new worlds going where no one had gone before and i'm i'm sure there was so to to me it was the genuine uh the 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 genuine emotion of you know, exploration and going out there for the first time, uh, you know, into the, into the unknown. I, I think this series captures that so very well. You
1: know, the great thing about Hoshi, and Will and I actually talked about this at length on another episode of Warp 5, she actually became the avatar almost, or the vessel for a lot of the audience to be able to cling on to. There always is, uh, in every one of the series, one character that is like the exploratory character. You know, the character that you can find and latch onto and kind of almost, you're almost like right next to them in terms of being out there and exploring. And Hoshi was one of them because she was very human. Uh, She wore a lot of the fear like up front on her sleeve. And Will, could you tell us a little bit about more about why you think, I mean, you were really, you're a huge proponent of Hoshi and a huge proponent of Travis because they were the two youngest crewmen who didn't get the most amount of time, but it seemed like in this particular episode, because I really do like fight or flight, it seemed that she was really giving her due. Mm-hmm. However, the fan reaction originally when this series was first debuted wasn't as positive, I think, as it is now with her performance. Because I think people realized that, yes, they were out there doing something extraordinarily terrifying, but their training had to kick in. They had to be able to do the service of the mission. So... I think she played it true. What do you think, Will?
3: Yeah, I agree. I think with with the character of Hoshi, it's I like the character, but it, it's so frustrating because you see the potential and it's so untapped for the entirety of the series. So it's, mm. it's right there. It's right there for the taking, for this character to be really developed. And Fight or Flight works for me in the sense that she really is the avatar. She really is a stand-in for the audience. But at the same time, you... In the back of my mind, I know that for the most part, Hoshi doesn't get as much development as a character as as opposed to the other characters later on down the road. So it's almost I like the character more because I'm filling in a lot of what I think the character should have been. And I think that for me, that's a shortfalling of Enterprise is that I shouldn't have to do that. But I like the character so much and I like what Linda Park brought to the character that I enjoy ultimately what I see on screen. But I think it could have been so much stronger in terms of her development into what we see later on. We see glimpses of it. She assumes command uh, of the Enterprise briefly in affliction and, or is it um, to, uh, Terra Prime or demons? She briefly assumes command when Archer's on, on on the mission on Mars with the rest of the crew. And you can see the fact that she's becoming more of a confident officer, but we don't see any of those middle steps there. Mm-hmm. But for, for for what it is in this episode, I think it works well. But I can understand where a lot of fans, if they initially saw it, they're like, this is not what a Starfleet officer is supposed to be. We want to see a strong female character. We've seen strong female characters before. Why does she seem so literally out of the water, right? It seemed it was very jarring. So I think for me, it worked. But at the same time, you're like, I really wish they could have made her grow into the character that you knew she could have been. You know, we've talked about how the pilot,
1: how Broken Bow kind of got us into space because of the mission with the Klingon Empire and how Archer basically said, we're ready, and the Vulcans were holding them back. That was a really interesting model for all of us to kind of glean from and say, hey, you know what? Yes, this is the prequel. This is this is how Starfleet, before the Federation, got out there in space. We talked about the trepidations of the very first encounter with an alien species in Fight or Flight. Funny enough, the encounter the, of the alien species that were murdered on that cargo freighter were the Axonar, So that fits in very specifically with Star Trek canon. Mm-hmm. But one of the episodes, and Floyd, I'm, the, I'm, I'm actually posing this question to you. One of the episodes I think that really, for me, and I'm not sure it worked for the audience to begin with, but for me, really kind of solidified that feeling of wonder and that feeling of exploration and that feeling of optimism was Strange New World. And particularly from the late Kelly Waymire's Crewman Cutler because she was really the one that you could watch and just had such great optimism and wonder in her eyes to go out there it's like we're on an alien world we're going to breathe alien air or extraterrestrial air and did you feel that way when you saw that episode
4: oh yeah absolutely out of out of these first 6 strange new world is probably my favorite like the first especially the first part with the campfire scene, like leading up to the exploration, actually landing the dog takes off where no dog has gone before. <laughs> and I love that. I mean, it reminds me of when I was a kid growing up in the country around my grandparents' house and in the woods and in the mountains and looking up at the stars. That was just awesome. And then she actually bla- like she points it out. There it is. There's our sun, And that was so cool. Plus, I, I really like uh, Travis's campfire story.
1: <laughs> now, the other two that round out the first six episodes are a little bit of a miss for some of the audience, at least originally. And I find some value in them later on as I've, as I've done my rewatch. But, Jeffrey, since you've done this uh, comprehensively, let's talk a little bit about Unexpected. Unexpected is the episode where Trip has to fix an alien ship. He uh, goes into a decontamination chamber uh, there is a little bit of what we believe is just protocol, but it ends up being some type of courtship, how do you say it, relationship building between the aliens, and he ends up being pregnant. It's a little off-putting because it's not what we believe to be uh, the standard type of courtship relationship romance, but we are dealing with an alien species here, and we also are dealing with a species that may or may have not have given us holodeck technology. So how did you feel about it, seeing it again? And did it work for you?
2: Um, The first time I watched it, uh, I thought it was kind of neat that they're running into some aliens that are actually pretty alien to them. To that point, really, the only aliens they'd really had a whole lot of experience with were Vulcans, and they're pretty similar to humans, really. And then they run into these guys, and they don't even mate the same way that humans do. And that was was an interesting thing on it. In my rewatch... Some of the bits of uh, how they handled it, some of the stuff that was played up for comedy, I kind of felt like that wasn't the way to handle it. It it, uh, should have maybe had a little more serious tone taken to it where, you know, this guy just suddenly finds himself carrying an alien baby and he's freaking out and justifiably so and everyone else is making nipple jokes Uh, that that, uh, seemed kind of inappropriate and uh, I think they could have handled it better
1: it's a tongue twister. The infamous nipple trip wrist joke. So let's <laughs> say that 10 times. Yeah, you're right. It was, it was a little interesting. It was probably a little kind of heavy-handed forced comedy. And I think they wanted to bring a little levity to what was going on, but it just quite didn't hit the mark, at least the first time around with a lot of fans. I know that this particular episode was like, really? This is where we're going with the prequel of the original series? But... Not everything can be a home run. Not everything can be um, a five star episode and you're going to take some risks and some risks are going to pan out and some risks are going to not pan out so much. One of which is the next episode, which I think it really could have worked if it was done and will, I'm going to reference what you said on the Babel conference, if it was done in a two parter and that's Terra Nova, which is rounds out the uh, top six of the first six episodes of the first season. I think personally that Terra Nova has great architecture and has a great premise and it goes all the way back to what the original series was about and it's just this mystery. Travis actually poses it as a mystery, the mystery of Terra Nova and what happened to that colony. So, Floyd, what did you think about Terra Nova? Do you think that there was potential there and were they getting back on the right track of trying to seam this more into the original series as the prequel advertised it was going to?
4: Yeah, I liked I liked that they were built it was universe building. You know, they was giving us a little bit of history, they were naming ships, they were naming uh the colony and I I just had pro, I, it it reminded me a little bit of the TOS episode like Miri. Actually, it reminds me a lot of it. And then there's there's also a part in there there's a scene in there where Reed spins a bicycle wheel, I think, and it's supposed to be maybe a callback to McCoy. Uh, went on Miri, when at the beginning of Miri, but you were just uh, waiting
1: for somebody to walk up and do go bonk bonk,
4: right? Right. Oh yeah, yeah. Bonk, but bonk then I the hey that I I don't know I kind of had a problem with the language and like Archer was talking about how they this might be the first humans that they've ever seen, but you know they're human. I guess I don't know. I don't know. It was, it didn't seem like it was enough time for that to happen. But I mean, if there was only kids left, then it was very much like a Miri episode. It was, it was much like that. And I can also say like for unexpected, although we're on Terra Nova unexpected, I didn't re- like that at first when I saw it, I was 25 years old and I did not like it and I skipped it on rewatches, but now I watch it. I like it. I laugh at it. It reminds me a little bit of trouble with troubles when they're trying not to laugh Except in this one, Archer is trying not to laugh, but he really is laughing and they're letting you see it. So I kind of saw that as they may have done that a little too soon, trying to pull the humor on that. And then they tried to get back on the Terra Nova. You know, it I don't know. I I can defend unexpected now because like when I watch it now, it's funny. It's, you know, uh, Trip plays it up. Archer's trying not to laugh at it, and T'Pol is ripping him a new one. It is she has the best lines in that. On the Terra Nova, though, man, if it was a two parter and we could have stretched that out, that was a great idea, Will. If they could have stretched that out and gave us a little bit more to that, that it could have been, it could have worked a lot better, I believe.
1: So, as all of our listeners are listening to this podcast and then going with their rewatch, kind of keep in mind that you know this happened in. But late 2000, and there was a lot of trepidation happening with the start of Enterprise. Uh, it was coming off of the heels of Voyager. There was a lot of saturation in the market. There was a lot of pressure on prequels at the time. And there was obviously this whole, well, if it's a prequel, how come it looks more advanced now than it did then, you know it's
3: 150 years
1: prior to the Enterprise and prior to Kirk's era.
3: That was my huge sticking point for a long time, and I think both you, Norm, and Jeff have heard my my. I think almost I had to go through this process of of accepting the design of Enterprise, the design of the NX in particular. But now I I love all of it. But that was the longest for me. That was one of the biggest hurdles. I think a lot of other fans felt the same way, too, is that they had to get over the fact that it looked more advanced. It sounds kind of silly, but I think it can be safe to be said that a lot of fans also had to overcome that hurdle like I did. But it was a hurdle. It was just like, this does not look anything like pre-TOS, and I think a lot of people you know, tripped over that. You know, actually, that's a
1: perfect segue into what we're going to talk about, because the next point was going to be shaking down the NX-01. What are your thoughts about the the ship when the mission started, the weapons, defense, the crew experience, inexperience? But I'd like to actually turn that a little bit, since we have this large panel where we can actually discuss some of that real-time situation with, did you accept the fact early on that visually or aesthetically that this was a prequel? How did you overcome mentally or spiritually, that this looked so different in terms of its aesthetics. And I love what Doug Drexler did. I love what Herman Zimmerman did. But they had this just unbelievable and daunting task of trying to respect what has come up from our real space program versus dialing back 150 years from 1966's Matt Jeffries design and try and make everything all seamless. So, Mike, when you first saw this and you said, does this work? Does this actually make sense? Or in your head cannon, in your mind's eye, can you reskin everything to what they were trying to do with what was happening with the design aesthetic and just the overall look in this first season?
0: Yeah, I I don't want to disrespect uh the fans that had difficulty with it, but honestly Norm, I never really asked those questions because it completely worked for me and and I and I'll tell you why. You know, first of all, I I agree wholeheartedly, you know, Doug Drexler uh in his design of the NXO one I think he did a lot of things right in order to make it work uh, at least for me. If you know, first of all, you know, I think about the outside aesthetics of the ship. First of all, in that opening title sequence when the NX-01 goes to warp, just the lights back there behind the nacelles how they how they almost take the appearance of a of a 55 Cadillac it it kind of called back to the 1950s almost uh in the in the exterior aesthetic of the ship the metallic look of the inside of the ship the fact that it didn't look like a luxury liner it wasn't boxy and retro it very much took the appearance of a of a you know maybe a korean war era submarine almost uh on the inside and so for me it, it really worked yeah so apart from the fact that it had flat panel screens and we didn't have big boxy monitors that that didn't really bother me uh it was it was a great ship i remember uh the first time i watched it in broken bow which by the way i i in my opinion is the the best uh star trek series pilot you know bar none Watching the NXO one come out of uh, space dock, you know, wow, what a what a sexy ship! You know, Doug just really nailed it. The fact that there wasn't a secondary hull on it, I, I think that uh, that worked for me as well because it, it you know, you had your uh, you had your nacelles, you had your saucer section, so you can see, or at least I can see, a natural evolution towards the 1701 and 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 so on and so forth, you know, on down through the great storied line of, of the ship's name
1: Enterprise. You know, Flood, I'm going to actually ask you the same question. How did you feel? Because we are dealing with, we're trying to respect the canon of the original series and trying to make sure that everything makes sense from at least a, a mental and logical standpoint. And I know how much of a fan you are of the original series, so am I. So are all, you know, we all are. Up to a point, and uh, you know we have Mr. Atos here, so I'm sure he has his opinions on the matter. But when you saw the pilot, when you saw Broken Bow for the first time, and you were like, "How does this work as a prequel?" Does that were you able to make that mental leap? That yes, of course, the original series was done in 1966 with 1966 TV budgeted technology. I understand that. Now you're dealing with a fully funded, high-budget, network-produced series with great effects, with state-of-the-art budget, with probably one of the best ship designers in the history of ever, Doug Drexler, and obviously this great thematic narrative that you have from Herman Zimmerman pulling everything from literally the next generation all the way back full circle to enterprise. So did that work for you?
4: Um I have to admit it I it knocked me back a little bit like when they named it a prequel for Toss for original series and I'm a huge original series fan when they said that it was a prequel I was expecting to see like r- before Kirk and it didn't it didn't catch me and I I'm saying this right now cuz I hopefully maybe we have some new Warp 5 listeners right now who are doing their first watches because of the Trek FM rewatch challenge that's going on right now but the more i've watched it the easier it got for me and it just made more sense especially when i got all the way to the end now my initial watch i was in my mid 20s and it was just it was a funny it was a weird time at that time you know in the, just in the world and it was i don't i had trouble even just concentrating on tv at that time but after my opinion has changed so much now though after watching it i watched it I probably all the way through about five years ago on Netflix and man, it looked good. It looks so good. The sets look so good. And then it reminded me so much of those great submarine movies Mm -hmm. run silent, run deep. Uh, Boy. I mean, just, it just, it looks so good. And it was funny because I had star Trek, the magazine subscription back then. I was a, one of the charter subscribers to it. And they actually sent me a poster of the next. one, Right after the pilot came out, as a a it, they sent it to all their subscribers as a gift, like a thank you gift, which I thought was so cool.
3: Do but you still I, have
4: that, Floyd? I do have that. I need oh. to put it in a frame. I still have it in the uh, poster over here. I pull it out every once in a while. I but, wish I
2: still had mine, but all of my magazines from that series disappeared in a move.
4: Yeah, mine did too, actually, but I still have the poster. Uh, yeah, I... It didn't it really set me back really hard because I was a huge original series fan and I was I I kind of wanted to see something a little closer to it and when I've actually mentioned on Babel conference and Larry Neimechek actually even commented on it I was I was kind of saying well what if that it would have been nicer if they would instead of saying there was a prequel for original series if they could have kind of told us hey this is going to be a future for us it's more of a future for us but we're going to build up to the Star Trek you know and Larry's uh, comment back was, well, that would mean that they kind of were planning it out and they knew what they were doing ahead of time. <laughs> Bazing! <laughs> that sounds <Right>. like Larry. <laughs> so I was like, well, okay, that makes sense. And, you know, in hindsight, 2020, boy, the more I watch Enterprise, the more I love it. It, it just, especially setting it in the a future for us, first two seasons future for us, then you have the Zindi arc and then you have the prequel for Toss finally coming around. Um Something that I thought though they kind of went a little too fast with the technology like they, it seemed like they were we're we're starting it as a prequel and we're very far back but we 're gonna give you the transporter and we're gonna give you uh we're gonna give you the the phasers and phase cannons. Like- yeah.
3: Torpedoes. Right.
4: Yeah. And I was like, ah, oh, a little too soon. Like right mm-hmm. now I'm yeah. looking at it like a little too soon. If you're going to do that, then set it ahead a little bit and give it to us in a, in a package yeah. that we were more familiar with, mm-hmm. but it would have been like, we talked about, we've talked about in earlier work fives, that first season being on earth, developing the ship. That could have been golden. That could have been so golden and they could have built us up into that, but it would have been nice. I mean, if we don't have lasers, you know, they mentioned lasers in Balance of Terror uh, when the Earth-Romian War. Give us some kind of a, a, I don't know, like a pulse laser or something, something that was... Railgun. Right, <laughs> exactly. Something like that. And then hold the transporter back for the first season, maybe. You know, Well, make- I mean,
1: in all fairness, they weren't really using the transporter, except for the one scene in Broken Bow, which was very traditional trademark Save the hero, use the technology type of move, you know, right. Duke's ex Machina kind of thing. Um, they did I hold did the like transporter the back to, a little bit.
2: Even even then, you know, as soon as he finished materializing, Archer is like checking to make sure all of his parts are there.
1: <laughs> yeah, and we saw we saw kind of the the pitfalls of early transporter technology in Strange New World. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? but now I understand yes. what you mean. I mean, I understand what you mean. It it should have been really more along that line where the first successful transporter beaming would have been like, everyone would have thrown a party. Right. You know, like the, everyone would like opened up a bottle of champagne. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we actually transported biological matter successfully in the matter stream. You know, that would have been like, woo. Cause you know, like at the beginning of broken bow, they're like, well, we're only using it for kind of dry goods and kind of, you know, stuff that's really not in just for cereal and granola bars, you know, nothing big, nothing big, You know, nothing like what happened to, uh, what is it? <laughs> was it was it Zan in the motion picture? Oh, right. So Ooh, he just yeah, he, he
4: melted. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. But yeah, on comparing the watches that I have now to that first time I watched it, well, I couldn't even keep up with it in first run. They changed it around so much, and I was a basketball coach, and they put it on Wednesday night and Tuesday night, and then ended up on Friday night. I couldn't even watch it, and I couldn't find a channel that had it because they kept moving it around. But you know, when I, now that it's on Netflix it's, it's, everyone has a chance to see it. Those of you that are watching enterprise for the first time, just stick with it, get it to the end. And then on your next rewatch, it's going to be better and it's going to get better. and It's going to get better. Every time you watch it, it's just like wine. It's just going to get better and better and better.
1: You know, and that's true. And I agree. And one of the things that I think we can all agree on here, aside from the aesthetic and aside from kind of the jump that you have to make almost in, in a mental way, there was a really good attempt at trying to portray these characters as being a little inexperienced, a little naive. So, Jeff, when you were watching the first six episodes, was there a character for you that just kind of struck out as being, no matter how well-trained you are, all of this was theoretical until you actually set foot out into deep space. And since since the NX-01 was the very first Warp 5 ship capable of going out the furthest that mankind has ever gone, what do you expect? How does a writer make that something that's a little bit more believable just in terms of dialing it back. Remember, we're coming from a very large, large universe where, you know, the Voyager was out there. I mean, way out there. You know, and now we're dealing with something, you know, a, a section of space that's past our own galaxy in, in a very short distance. So did they do a good job for you trying to convey that message of naivete, inexperience, a little bit of fear, a little bit of trepidation?
2: Yeah, I, I liked how they did that with the characters, especially in Fight or Flight. You know, it uh, you see a room full of alien corpses, of course you're going to let out a scream. Uh, that's just a completely human reaction, and it's very understandable. And I one thing I wish is that they had done more with uh, Travis's character, because here's the guy who has spent his entire life out in deep space. He's got more space-time than anyone else on this ship and they should have been going to him for advice and his insights forget the fact that he's an ensign; he's got more experience it's like mm-hmm. uh, you know having uh, someone like a senior NCO who's Mustang and now he's a, uh, a, a lieutenant and sure he's low on the totem pole in the ranks but he's still got more experience than everybody else
4: Oh, yep. I just thought of something. What if they would have uh, advanced uh, Travis's ranking based on his experience? Like, I never thought about him being above an ensign, but what if he would have outranked a couple of? You know, what he, if he'd I, outranked Malcolm? I, I think
2: he should have started out as like a lieutenant at the lowest.
1: You know, they made yeah. a big point, and I'm gonna I'm gonna direct this to Will because I know how much you love Travis, and you've probably studied his character better than most. The whole point of having him on this show was to have an experienced pilot that has logged in an infinite amount of star hours behind the wheel of a ship. So did you feel that that was translating well in the first couple episodes?
3: I honestly, I don't think it really translated that well. And it's just uh, it's just a shame. It, it was a really a disappointment because ironically enough, the two characters of color on the show were, in my mind, had the most interesting backstory. They could have become such interesting characters. Hoshi could have been the diplomatic first contact specialist with languages. She should have been on the forefront of every first contact. And Travis, like you mentioned, Jeff, has so much more experience in space because he's not Starfleet. They should have really played up that non-Starfleet aspect to it. And... When we did our Blu-ray reviews of season one, we watched a Blu-ray special and we uh, interviewed Brandon Brock, he's all like, you know, we initially tinkered with the idea of having the Boomer storyline of, uh, of Travis, but then we, en- you know, ended up dropping it because we didn't feel like there was anything there, there. There wasn't much story to go on. And I remember watching it for the first time, the interview, and I remember yelling at the screen, like, well, Are you <laughs> kidding me? That's narrative gold. They could have mm-hmm. really developed that character. He had such potential. And in a lot of ways, the boomer aspect to Travis for me was what I was looking for in a prequel to Enterprise. Because when I saw the Earth Cargo Service, when I saw The Fortunate, the Horizon, all of that, that was interesting to me. And it was actually very similar and it was concurrent to a lot of the other science fiction shows that are out at the time, like a uh, Battlestar Galactica, like a Firefly. They were cargo haulers. They were not very glamorous ships. And they were, Enterprise was attempting to go to a more down-to-earth, more bolted on look. So I felt that that was a great direction that they didn't take, but it was right there for them to go in. And Chris Jones actually wrote a really great article that was on Star Trek.com not too long ago about how TNG could have benefited from the three-episode arcs that was common in Enterprise Season 4. And i mentioned in that article in the, in the comment section that it would have been perfect if there would if we had a boomer arc a three episode arc where you really fleshed out what we saw in fortunate sun and horizon but that would be a perfect opportunity to introduce the orions and mm-hmm. that entire underworld aspect you know the the idea that there's starfleet is this new kid on the block and not everyone likes them they fly around in their clean warp 5 ship, their NX ship. They have chefs, they, you know, they have their clean uniforms and everyone else is hauling at one, you know, warp 1.8 and, you know, doing the dirty work, the grunt work. And we see some of that in song Son, which is why it's one of my favorite episodes, but it has been really interesting to see how they integrate all of that into the Starfleet that we see later on. And it would have been a perfect venue for telling something new. And I think as we go on and talk about you know season two, a lot of people say, you know it seemed very predictable Trek. It seemed you know, it traversed territory we've gone before. And I think that's a fair critique. And I think they could have avoided a lot of that if they really embraced the fact that there could be conflict, there could be something new with this boomer aspect. But I think as we've seen with the Blu-ray specials, they were really fighting studio pushback for them to include, you know, quote-unquote Trek things with a capital T. They had to have this in this episode. They have to have a battle. They have to have—it has to feel like Trek. And I think that's one of the biggest things Enterprise had working against it was the fact that it was trying to be new but not too new. And sometimes when you're trying to do both, you really don't do what you want to do. And I think so many times it's it's trying to be new— but it can't really be as bold as it should have been.
1: No, I agree. And and the interesting thing about Travis and Hoshi, and I'm probably going to put T'Pol in there for me, is that these three characters were the most interesting characters to me because they weren't technically your polished Starfleet officers. And I think that says something because, I mean, Hoshi was, but she was a linguist. They really needed her for her language skill. They really need they needed Travis for his... Star hours the and his knowledge of how far he's been out there further than probably any other human aside from the people that were on the ships with him. And then there was T'Pol who was technically on loan from the Vulcan High Command. You know, she wasn't Starfleet either. I used those characters as kind of pivot points to to see where they were going to go with some originality because Trip, I liked a lot. Archer, I liked a lot, but I wanted to see how he's going to develop a lot of pressure on him as a captain uh Reed really didn't kind of materialize for me uh, in in semi uh, in you know in, in, a, in a semi kind of why is he there kind of way. Uh, I think Will you wrote in one of our articles that he was more of like a cipher for things to happen around him as opposed to him being a a protagonist for him to actually uh, affect the way that the storyline went. But one of the last things I wanted to talk to you all about were there characters that absolutely worked for you at the get go? and then some that needed these six episodes to to warm up to. And and Mike, I want to start you off first.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, For for me, I think the one character that uh, we haven't really mentioned, Phlox, um, worked for me from the very beginning. And I would put him in that group that you had there, Norm, uh, with T'Pol and Hoshi and uh, Travis as being an interesting character. Here's the thing I love about Phlox. First of all, first alien doctor... So we get to see the development of interstellar medicine, you know, right there firsthand. We're seeing him with his menagerie of creatures and potions. And, you know, God only knows what he puts in decongel E. Uh, I'm not sure I want to (laughs) know, but uh, he's, he's got this menagerie uh, that he calls a, a sick bay. And, that really worked for me but as a character first of all john billingsley uh as an actor is just phenomenal i don't think he gets nearly the credit he deserves every mannerism that flocks has is alien uh, he he looks so awkward it looks natural does that make sense and so what I think we forget sometimes is that, as a character, he's on his own exploration i I love uh there there's a scene where he's sitting in the mess hall he's eating and he's just ooing and aahing over the flavor of potatoes and he gives this half eaten potato to trip and he's like try this isn't it incredible look at this couple over here i think they're about to mate do you think they'll let me watch you know so and i <laughs> love that i do love that are not shy about anything
1: <laughs> he
2: right? was
0: not shy about but he was he was wide-eyed as as anybody on that ship to
2: what's that jeff you can't be shy if you're married to feasal that's right <laughs> that,
0: that is right but as a, as a character, he really worked for me because, uh, again, being only one of two aliens on the ship, I think we forget sometimes that, uh, that he was an explorer uh, of his own. And so as far as characters that it took time for me to warm up to, honestly, uh, Reed was, it was a character I had a difficult time warming up to. And, and I'm not quite sure why. I, I think it was the, uh, the, the staunch pastiness of the character, and I don't know if it was written that way intentionally if that's if if that, if that's just what uh, you know if that was in the acting i'm not I'm not sure uh if it was just poorly written uh, if Reed was just a poorly written character I'm not sure but it took a long time for me to warm up to him in fact, probably the first comprehensive uh uh watch i did of of enterprise. I just, I just didn't care for the Reed character. It was about the third comprehensive rewatch that I started to warm up uh, to Reed as a character, and and now I have an appreciation for him. And uh, but but early on, I, I I didn't.
1: And how about you, Floyd? I mean, I know that you have talked about this before in the past and offline with with me, and I'm sure with offline with uh, some of the other guests and hosts here. But there has to be. I know you're a huge Flocks fan, you know, and I know that in our when we recast the movie i think your flocks was paul Giamatti, paul Giamatti, which is a great call and there's a lot of i mean i'm i'm surprised i didn't put him on my list and thank you mike for bringing him up i think that flocks is another one of those audience participation type of characters where you mm-hmm. can really see a lot of um you almost use him as a prism for the human condition but aside from flocks i think you are a really big fan of depaul as well so could you tell us a little bit about at least in these first six episodes who you gravitated towards the most.
4: Yeah. um, I liked, I actually on this latest rewatch, like right now I'm at silent enemy and the last couple of times that I've watched, I've really, I've liked to Paul at uh, unexpected because when she is giving trip, you know, three days, you were only over there for three days and you couldn't restrain yourself. And then, and then Archer's reaction to that, like Archer's, Archer's interactions with Trip are through T'Pol on that Mm -hmm. also. Like they're always doing this, this triangle thing Mm -hmm. going where Archer and Trip are talking about T'Pol or it, it was just, I don't know. I, T'Pol though, I I liked how she, I, I just liked how Jolene Blaylock played to Paul. Now I have heard some people saying on their early rewatch that they're like, Oh, it's kind of, you know, it's, she's not really acting like a Vulcan because she's, she's emotional. And then she's like a smart aleck. And then this and that, I was like, you know, what I had said about that was we don't really know what Vulcans are really like. This is a hundred years before. So she's the actual example that we have right now. You know, the best example we have uh, before Spock. So, um, Yeah, I'm like right now, starting with Unexpected, I'm like, I'm really connecting with Tapal on this latest rewatch. Like her one-liner, she has some of the best Mm one-liners and some of the best lines they had. And she dropped, she drops the line flat. The second time that I had a rewatch of Enterprise, Hoshi got on my nerves so bad with her inexperience on fight or flight. But ever since that second rewatch or, or that the first rewatch, I guess, I have not noticed it ever again. She has not been on my nerves at all. Like it, she's just, it's like, okay, she's scared, but boom, she gets right over it. And it seems very natural. Like Linda Park did a great job with capturing that, I think. And also, um, these first few episodes, I thought Bakula, he kind of, he was playing it up just a little bit, but then he smoothed out really, really quick. And that's what I thought on uh right right now on my current rewatch that I'm doing right now I I just been I've been studying these characters and T'Pol has been has probably been my favorite so far just because of her one-liners.
1: I know there's one scene in particular with Scott Bakula that kind of rubbed a lot of the fans the wrong way and it was when they were studying Klang's body in Medbay and then T'Pol said something along the lines of, you know, you should show some more restraint. He's like, "Restraint? You have no idea how much restraint is taking me from knocking you on your ass." It right. was uh, for somebody who's, Mike, so you smiling. Did I do a good job of Bacula? Yeah, that was great. Oh, no, that was a great Bacula, man. <laughs> but when I saw that for the first time, I was like, okay, I know that they're trying to infuse a lot of rawness in there, and making sure that this, these are the humans that are a little bit more uh, acceptable, just in terms of not having that Starfleet slash Federation polished. You know, this is not Picard, even not Kirk, to some degree. You know, this is. This is basically just someone who has literally passed all of his tests to be able to become the Warp 5 captain. He's, and he's got he's, a
4: huge chip on his shoulder for Vulcans. Mm-hmm.
1: That, and he has a lot to prove. I mean, there's there's a lot of... He's working through a lot of issues. I mean, he's working through the issues of trying to get underneath or or out of the shadow of his famous father, Henry Archer, who helped design the Warp 5 engine along with Zephram Cochran. So there's a lot of history there. He's uh, There's a lot for him to prove and I think that when they wrote that particular line, and I've I've seen this written in forums a lot, they just didn't expect that from a captain. But I think that also, conversely, is refreshing because, yes, you don't expect that from a captain. You don't expect that from somebody who has come up through the ranks of being bred as this military person, if in fact Starfleet is a military. So... Yes, I can understand why that was a little jarring, but at the same time, so are a lot of other things at the very beginning of this. You know, you have all of these experienced, quote-unquote experienced officers that really kind of are fumbling around at the very first get-go, and they haven't set really any precedence because they don't have any. There is no prime directive. There is no book. They are writing the book as they go. So I think when people are watching this for the very first time or rewatching it Keep that in mind when you're watching Enterprise, that this is the quote-unquote egg that is being broken for your omelet that creates the original series. That's like poetry, man.
3: Well, you know how I get at the end of the show. I get It's like deep. poetry. It's beautiful. That should be on the plaque of the NX-01. This is like breaking a couple eggs for an omelet. Maybe we can
1: have Aaron design an egg. When you crack it open, like all the little ships fall out. Uh, or the federation flag falls out that'd be good you know so but that's i mean for my final thoughts that's how i felt about the first six episodes i'd like for you guys to just kind of sum up a little bit here just your you know in in a few words your general feeling of these six episodes and i can't wait to get to the next six because that's just going to be a lot more of of expounding on not just the mission but now kind of Who they're meeting? So, Jeff, we'll start with you, and we'll just go around the horn, and uh, let's kind of finish it off.
2: I thought the uh, season actually started off pretty strong. You know, I wasn't too crazy about unexpected, but other than you know, I thought they should have taken it slightly more seriously. It was still not a bad episode, and going somewhat beyond just these six episodes, but I I think that Travis's character was just woefully underused and. You know, like Will was saying, they had the, the interview on the uh, the Blu-ray where they were saying they didn't know what to do with the boomer storyline. I mean, it's like you could have had something like on Babylon 5 where they had the workers strike. You know, you could have the boomers go on strike because of Starfleet interference with them. And Travis is the only person in Starfleet that they can call in to resolve this problem. I mean, it, it's...
3: That's great. That's awesome. So,
2: so many things they could have done with the boomers. Like, like what an un
3: Star Trek concept, right? A labor strike, right? And that's totally <laughs> new. It's totally fresh. We've never because, seen it before.
4: Because they're trying to earn a living. Right? Mm-hmm. Earning a living, right? A paycheck, right? It's
3: crazy, right? I mean, that great idea, Jeff. Earn credits.
2: Yeah, but I, I, otherwise, I, I felt that, you know, the series started off really strongly and I really enjoyed, uh, You know, seeing Broken Bow introducing Klingons in the conflict there, fight or flight introducing a new species that they'd never met and just how alien these things are to them and natural human reaction just losing it when you see a bunch of alien bodies hanging from the ceiling. And it it started off really well for me.
1: Awesome. And how about you, Mike?
0: You know, for me, and I'll say it again, Broken Bow is just... In my opinion, the best of the uh pilots just very well written, very well done, a lot of great concepts uh in in both parts uh fighter or flight is an excellent not all of these uh episodes six episodes uh work for me. I did like the comedy and unexpected uh, i I didn't think Terra Nova. it was a great concept, great framework. But poorly executed, and I think a lot of it had to do with casting. I just I wasn't crazy about the casting in that particular episode. I, I think so it's what didn't work for me. But uh, what what a great start uh, to this series! These these first six episodes really capturing the uh, spirit of exploration. Unexpected gave me one of my favorite uh, Trip Tucker lines. I swear, Captain! I swear, I was a perfect gentleman. I swear.
4: Uh, th- that depends on how, how you define gentlemen. Mm.
3: Yeah. <laughs> that was a good trip,
0: <laughs> Thank Mike. you, man. I mean, thank you, thank Norm you. But, uh, and
3: Norm go on, recast this show. <laughs> <long>.
0: <laughs> but uh, what a great start to this series. And uh, I'm looking forward to discussing the, the next six episodes because – I know a lot of times uh, this first season doesn't get a great deal of credit, but there there's a lot of great Trek here. And from a philosophical standpoint, I think uh, Brandon Braga and his team really stayed true to what makes Star Trek Star Trek, and that is to explore the human condition through the lens of a, of a science fiction story, and to, and to pull it off so well, to be able to look at humanity through the eyes of a Denobulan and a Vulcan, and and sometimes humans themselves, uh, alien species that we come in contact with. Uh, Jeff, what a what a great idea! I think it was a it was an incredible missed opportunity to to really look at uh, humanity from the standpoint of the Boomers who've have spent their entire existence out in space and are seeing humanity as a whole take those first steps forward in in the forming of the federation and starfleet and what what a great idea yeah listeners you heard it here first uh from 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 Jeff that that was incredible but uh, just a
3: fantastic start for this series and you will how did you feel about these first 6 I think the first 6 uh I think this is actually probably one amongst the, the stronger first 6 of uh, out of a lot of other Trek I can compare it to. I think that's I think that's what people are surprised is that when they first see the first 6 or the or really the first season of Enterprise. Season 1 and season 4 are my favorite of Enterprise. And I think a lot of people are surprised at how strong it is by comparison to the earlier seasons of other Trek series. And I think other Trek series have longer they've had a longer amount of time to develop into what we now enjoy from them. And I think Enterprise has had this weirdly truncated life where it you know only had four seasons and it already has a bit of an uphill battle when you talk about it with fans. They already have a lot of preconceptions. Mm-hmm. Whereas with other series, they already have a better conception of it and they kind of have to adjust their expectations accordingly. So I think a lot of people now, especially with the rewatch at Trek FM, I think people are having those expectations reset in a more beneficial way that wasn't quite there when the show debuted. And a lot of it had to do with them being pushed. Uh, they were pushed to do Enterprise months after Voyager wrapped up, just months. The turnaround behind it was was insane. So I think knowing all of that provides a, a lot of important context understanding where the show was. I think at the same time, the first six episodes, you can really tell where they wanted to go and then where they were being pushed back in terms of where they were being told that this is where they this is what Trek needs to be. Because I feel like this was peak, this is peak franchise Trek. This is Trek as a franchise. So people had an idea of what it should be as opposed to what a new prequel should be. And you could see in the first six, just by some being great, some being not so great, and I don't want to get into that, you can just kind of see they're really fighting internally where they want to go. So I think it's really interesting kind of seeing where the rest of the season, where the rest of the series is going to go. But um, it's a really good summation of what Enterprise accomplished, what it didn't accomplish. Mm-hmm. And I think what people can enjoy if they kind of give it the right time and the right perspective.
1: And last but not least, Floyd, what'd you think? Yeah,
4: this I I think this is one of the best starts to any of the Trek series. I've watched all of them. And just going through and deciding where the arcs are, with the discussion, how big, how many episodes That should we go on the discussion arc? I'm looking at this, and boom, these first six, we've got our uh, starting the mission, shaking it out, getting to know each other, and then we get right into some good stuff. The middle of the season gets really, really good, really, really fast, mm-hmm. and then just looking down the line, I mean, the roster for the season one has some really great episodes going here. I think these number these first six got us off to a really good start. Um terra nova uh I'd kind of maybe like to take a maybe take a bunt on that one, but the other the others i actually like i like i like now on rewatches um so if they're if this is your initial watch or maybe your second or third or maybe your tenth rewatch and you're watching it these episodes and maybe it might not be your cup of tea like unexpected again when i was twenty five I did not like unexpected it just did not sit well with me, but now I watch it, and I'm watching actually Archer more when I watch that episode, those episodes, any scenes that he's in and to Paul is giving trip a hard time, look over at Archer and try not to laugh or smile. Cause it is hilarious. Bakula is acting like he's trying not to laugh, but he's he doesn't even have to act. He really is laughing. And it, it reminds me of a couple of the toss episodes where they're trying not to laugh or it's just funny. I don't know. it It, it is. It's just funny. But if that was your, If this is the first time you've ever watched it and you're only five episodes in, it's going to be kind of maybe a little bit jarring to have them being so silly so early. And when you look at it, like the producers and the writers, they say that that's like the work, the episode they hated the worst after they, you know, when they look back that that was the one they hated the worst. But I don't know, I, I guess with time and rewatches and just looking for little things, you know, to pull something positive out of it. Watch Bacula. If you don't like that episode, go ahead and go ahead and let it play, but watch Bacula's expressions. Um, but I think this is a really, really good start to uh, a series that we've got going because, you know, next time when we're going in here, we're going to get into some politics. We're going to start uh, stepping on some toes. And I think these set us up really great for that.
1: I agree. And I think, I've given every single series the, at least from the pilot and the first few episodes on, a chance to be able to at least see where the framework is and what the storytelling narrative is going to be. You know, with the next generation, when you're dealing with the first few episodes, it's a little rough. Deep Space Nine, even so, it was better, but still a little rough. And I even thought Voyager was a little rough. I personally believe, and I agree with you, Mike, I, I personally believe that Enterprise actually had the best start. Of all of them. And maybe it's because they have a better understanding, at least at the very end, the collective intelligence of the writers between um, Rick Berman and Brandon Braga and in the writing team that they had at the very beginning. Maybe they understood that a little bit better, at least from the pilot and the first episodes past the pilot. But hindsight being 2020 and knowing the series as well as I do, I still think that it was a very strong start. I think that for anyone who's coming into Star Trek in general, probably will get a lot of value out of this first season and will hook them a little bit faster because they're not bringing in really any bias or luggage or baggage or however you want to call it because they're seeing it from the narrative of the very beginning versus all of the stuff that we have bringing to it prior to seeing the very first episode. So I think that for at least the new viewers, I encourage that. Stay with the show and continue to listen to our review and discussion and then obviously watch it in tandem with the rewatch that we're doing on Track FM. And so before I close out the show, I wanted to get into a little bit of really good news, in my opinion, and that has to do with how we as a network evolve. Trek FM is an ever-evolving network with new talent that is coming in all the time. I mean, we we have new talent that are co- that is coming in through the Patreon program. Uh, Mike Morrison, Mike, he's uh, on mic with me right now, and Zachary Frilling actually have started off their own show called Metatrex. We have a couple of... Ideas that are brewing behind the scenes and as a network, we are always trying to find the best possible ways to make sure that we can continue our coverage for you on all the series. So, and I don't want to sound jarring when I say this, but we have a really great succession plan that we are putting into place for Warp 5 Will and I will be stepping down as the co-hosts for the show within the next few episodes because we are trying to focus on other areas of the network. As you know, Jeff and I are going to standard orbit, so I will be hosting that show, and then Will's going to be continuing on his duties uh, with the Patreon program, with the roundtable, and making sure that all the content is being facilitated in that way. So, And of course, we actually have to fit all of this volunteer work, if you will, within our own Time frame and the responsibilities of our own life. But we always want to make sure that the shows are covered. So yes, Will and I will be stepping down and we have had such an incredible journey growing this show with you and for you and being able to meet and listen and talk to all of the listeners that have come by. So I don't want to take up too much airtime here, but I'd I'd like for Will to at least have a chance to say, whatever he needs to say about our transition team.
3: Yeah. And it's been a whirlwind because, you know, both me and Norman have, and everyone here actually are really relatively new to the podcast. I think maybe Mike, you actually have another podcast too. I think, right, Mike? Not on, not...
0: not on Trek FM.
3: Okay. So I think Mike is the most experienced out of, out of all of us here. And especially for me, I mean, I just found out about Trek FM last summer, two summers ago. And in the space of that time, you know, I've become an avid listener, a Patreon supporter, a co-host working um, behind the scenes with the network. Um, It has been a tremendous opportunity to meet wonderful fans from across the world that I've never met otherwise. And just to be able to to be with Norman as a co-host for Warp 5 for, you know, a year. Better part of a year co-hosting after Christopher Jones uh transitioned. It was it was a wonderful honor. I've never done this before, and it's been a wonderful experience for me and my fandom. I've met so many wonderful people. I hope to meet them in real life at some point. And, you know, this is this is not a goodbye. It's just going to see you in a different uh, area of the network. You know, Norman's going to be on standard orbit. I will be around the Babel Conference. I'm still in the roundtables each month and doing from, from there to here our rewatch of all Star Trek, but I think we're in really great hands because we have such a deep bench, especially for Warp 5. We have Jeff, we have you, Mike, we have Floyd, and we have so many other people in the Mabel Conference and elsewhere that are not just listeners, but they're participating and they're interacting. So I really like the fact that you know you have this rotation, so you have just an influx and of, of new ideas and new perspectives. So I'm really excited about the transition because I'll be listening too, and I'll be, and I'll be chiming in and I'll be on, on, on mic whenever I can. So I'm excited for the new, the new perspectives.
1: I mean, one of my great joys doing this show has been co-hosting with Will because we've both come up in the network almost together. We have our own perspective about Star Trek and we have our own, way of looking at all the different series. And I mean, Will was coming at it from a Deep Space Nine perspective. I was coming from it from the original series perspective. And we've learned a lot along the way. But the one thing that we've both learned, in fact, is that this network is really just exponentially growing because of all the people that are coming in through their participation. And I'm very proud of the work that we've done and This is, you're right, Will. This is not goodbye. We're just transitioning into different parts of the network as our responsibilities change. But for me, I am so proud of the team that we've put together. And I have every confidence that Floyd and Jeff, as our new co hosts going forward, are going to be able to maintain the level of quality and to bring our listeners the same passion and same enthusiasm. With Mike in the back wings and even bringing in some of our other traditional guest stars like Tommy Kraft, who can round out the team. The great thing about podcasting is that you're dealing with a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different opinions and a lot of different ways of just presenting the material that you love. We were one way. And the new team that's coming in with Floyd and Jeff running the show, it's just a completely different way. Now, Jeff is going to be co-hosting with me with Standard Orbit. He's just he has that kind of energy. He has that love for Star Trek, as we all do, and I'm glad to have him there. But I'm going to be doing that different type of interpretation with that show in a different way that Mike and Drew handled it. So I think that's very exciting for a network like ours to be able to have all these different voices so that you, our listeners, are getting so many different and varied perspectives on this one universe, on all these different shows and on all these different types of of ways of seeing it. And that's the most exciting thing about this transition. So I just, I would like for, for Floyd and for Jeff to have a little bit of time here before we close out the show with our credits, just to be able to address you and to talk to you about a a little bit about their vision and where they would like to take the show.
4: Well, thank you Norm for, and Will for all the great work that you've done with the show, Jeff, you've been a regular guest on here already uh, Mike, uh, associate producer. So appreciate that. The, um, this is so fun. This is so fun to, uh, I'm just, I'm very excited to take over. I can't replace you. I can only succeed you.
3: I'm already taking the pips off of Norman's uniform. and putting on <laughs> Floyd.
4: Yeah, I was in, I was, I'm, I'm ready to take the tie off. I was in the admiral and training program on earth, but man, I really would like to get on a ship. So, You've already uh, kicked
3: right. Porthos out of your quarters. I mean, it's okay, but I mean, please Floyd, P- Portho, I mean, come Porthos on. Can, he can stay,
4: he can, he can stay if he wants, you know, but yeah, um, it's been so much fun being an associate producer and guesting on here and this is, man, I'm so excited about the opportunity that we've got here. I I'm real I'm very excited for your, uh, your promoting a hundred years norm. So I guess you and Daniels are going to go take a trip. Maybe jump ahead a hundred years. Oh yeah, that's right.
3: He just one day he just disappears. <laughs> He's in the future.
4: <laughs> I'll promise not to mess anything up that doesn't mess your show up in a hundred years. So so, Jeff is so, gonna, so yeah.
0: did we just discover that Norm is actually future guy?
4: Oh. That's it. That's,
0: that's season I'm
1: five. Right me there. Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna photoshop myself <laughs> in this picture like just vibrating out of the picture in a shadow.
3: Silic <laughs> you know? like behind me. And then you're in the future, you're like, why is every button giant? It looks like a jelly bean and it's like brightly colors and everyone's like,
4: what's going on?
3: <laughs> this design makes no sense to me.
4: Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Very, it's very exciting, all the changes that we have going on in uh, Trek FM right now with the Standard Orbit. Like I just finished listening to the Standard Orbit uh, to Drew and Mike's uh, finishing it off. And you know they thought it was kind of funny because they thought they had spoke about it all, but then they were like, "Well, but you know, there's someone, someone else has got another opinion. And they could talk about the exact same thing and come out with a, come at a completely different angle." Mm-hmm. So um, I think it's fun. And you all are talking like you're not going to be back, but you're gonna, I'm going to be enlisting your help. You know, you're going to be bringing you back on anytime that you want to come back on. And we, you know, I've, I'm trying, I'm going to set the table for you. Floyd is
3: saying that as he's pushing us into the airlock. You can't see that, but he's actually pushing (laughs) us in there about to press the button. No, I mean, all joking aside, I mean, I look forward to to being back here as as a regular guest with you, Floyd. I think the conversations we're going to have this year is going to be great. The 50th anniversary. A lot of people are watching the show again, as we've mentioned before with the rewatch. So it's an exciting time to really just be reconnecting with Star Trek.
1: Yeah. And Jeff's not going to get enough of me. I mean, you know, he's... He's, he's been no stranger to the show. You've heard him before, and you know how uh, he loves being able to talk about Enterprise. So, uh, Jeff, any, any final words for the viewers out there, the listeners out there, before we sign off?
2: Well, fortunately, as Mr. Ataz, I have unlimited access to the Atavikron, so I can pop back and forth between the 22nd and 23rd centuries at, uh, at will. And I can also pop will between centuries. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's but, literally
1: uh, planning all of your yesterday's will.
3: Yes, so. I, I'm yeah. Excited.
2: I uh, um, I I I might just send you to uh, a frozen wasteland so you can uh, uh, you
3: know. Can you send me to the Stone Age? <laughs> yeah.
1: We're gonna have you battle Spock for Zerabeth's affections. Yep. So. <laughs> yeah. So.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Um, uh, doing both shows is going to be a lot of fun.
1: And we're and we're lucky to have you because. It's nice to have multiple voices on a show and because you can always bounce things back and forth and to see things from different perspectives and that's that really is the tenant of Star Trek, You know, being able to see things through infinite diversity and infinite combinations and this is just one of those moments where that's changing.
3: I got, I got one more thing I want to say actually, I just remembered. I think out of all the shows, I think this show under this current run has been the most inclusive of the team that supports it, meaning... This show has consistently brought on a wide panel every time. Jeff, mm-hmm. Mike, Floyd, Tommy, Larry. We've brought in our associate producer. We've brought in other perspectives in a way I think others, not 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 to say the other shows, you know, don't do that, but I think our show, I think that's our unique calling card. When I was just thinking about is that we've really we have the deepest bench here at Warp 5. And other shows have a different way of operating and they have a consistency, which is wonderful. But I think here the fact that literally the five of us had nothing to do with Warp Five or Enterprise or Trek FM a mere, you know, months ago, really. Just you know, just a collection of months ago. And the fact that to be able to have this continuity, it's because we have such a deep bench we'd be able to really include such a wide range of of, of guests and panelists and hosts you know, each and every week. And I think that's uh, really unique out of the entire network. So I just wanted to say that's that's a great thing we've done.
0: I'm glad I'm yeah, I'm glad you said that, Will. I was actually gonna say before we signed off, as as an associate producer of Warp Five, you know, first of all I want to just personally thank uh both you and Norm for including us in what's going on here on the show. We're more than just uh, patrons and donors. You've made us part of the team and uh, we sincerely appreciate that as a, as a listener and, and I'll speak for uh, the listeners if they'll allow me. I, I appreciate what you brought, uh, the both of you brought to the show as far as your perspective and your thoughts and your opinions. you uh, you guys, you guys really are, have been uh, for the last year or, or more. You know the spirit of the show, and uh, you've enlarged my personal fandom, and uh, you've challenged me to see. Enterprise through uh, through through a, a different lens, and uh, it's it's done nothing but add to my appreciation for the show. So again, thank you for what you've brought to Warp Five and to the network, and uh, to uh, me personally for including me as as part of this team. It's a great team. I I appreciate being a part of it.
1: And and thank you, Mike, and thank you, Floyd, for for supporting the show. I think. Uh, As as my final thought here, I think that being able to have new people appreciate enterprise for what it was and to be able to see it in the type of environment that they need to see it in, i.e. in their own time, in their own space, and in their own level of appreciation, allows people to... Really understand how good the show really was when it was really doing its best. It really was telling some fantastic Star Trek and it was really laying some incredible foundations for making that bridge between their time period in 2151 to when we first see the Enterprise and James T. Kirk and Spock and that crew there's a lot that they have done right versus being able to easily pick on what they've done wrong. Mm -hmm. I think you can do that with pretty much any series. But what my goal was and, and what Will and I talked about in terms of crafting the show over the course of the last 12, 13 or 14 months we've been doing it, we wanted to make sure that the perspectives were being seen. And we were talking about topics that were expanding people's horizons. And that's about as best as we can hope for. If we can turn one... Or if we can turn 100 new fans onto the show, we felt like we've done our job. So I wanted to thank everybody here for their time and for supporting the show. I'm very excited about what's ahead for Warp 5. And you're right, Will, this is not goodbye. This is just kind of a, we'll be seeing you in a different form. Uh, We'll be taking on the form of disembodied brains in a giant glass jar so people can bet us on a trinary star system. You guys, you boomers out there, you're going to have to probably Google that one. But um, thank you. And... This, you know, it was great talking to all of you about the very first six episodes and the start of Enterprise season one, but that's not the only topic that we've been talking about this week on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. It would be a lot of fun to be able to mst 3 k an episode like <laughs> Arena, which, who doesn't love poking fun at a rock-throwing Gorn? I mean, come on, you know?
2: Can you find a rudimentary lady? Exactly. <laughs>
1: Exa- <laughs> I wrote that on the Babel <laughs> Conference today because Guy Fleegman from Galaxy Quest is the greatest character ever.
4: Earl Grey.
0: This 547-meter-long, 32-deck, 502
4: uh, 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 crew uh, uh. member. <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: awesome. The Orb. He requests, you know, a an officer to serve with him yeah. on purpose. You know, he understands. You make this their own. I just... did it
0: on purpose. I could see him, like, accidentally requesting a Victorian officer. <laughs> oh, man, I, I checked the wrong box on the form.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to the journey! Benjamin and Kira. They would never touch like that.
4: No, that just would be really unnatural and weird for them. But for Chang'e and Chakotay, it's very natural. It's very comfortable. It's like slipping into a warm bath and hopefully Q's not in it. Commentary, Trek Stars.
0: I just finished a book on Audible that was recommended to me by some other people here on the network. Mm -hmm. It's called uh, Weapon of a Jedi.
1: They steered you right, Mike. Mm Nope.
0: The 602 Club. And it's literally like the first page after the introduction and it says, hey, here's the three factions. The New Republic, they don't want to commit to a full-scale war with the uh, First Order, so they allow and back Princess Leia to create the Resistance. And I'm like, oh, okay. That
4: makes total sense. Like, it took me one minute to read. Women at Warp. She's
3: the communications officer first. She can be Spock's girlfriend, second.
4: So, how do you think people would respond if you said, "Describe who Carol Marcus is after seeing this movie."
3: Uh, she looks nice in her bra.
1: Meta tricks. I looked it up, and ornare is the Latin word for to adorn. That's fascinating. So, I looked up Brekka and it turns out the same spelling b r e k k a is Old Norse for slope or hillside. And that,
0: listeners, is something you will only get right here on Metatrex.
1: Better living through etymology. <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. One of the things that we've talked about at the end segments of the show is how you can expand and support the fandom of Trek FM through a program that we all support here called Patreon.com. So, Floyd, as an associate producer and Mike, as an associate producer for this show, could you tell our listeners a little bit what the Patreon program is, and how it has connected you to the network, and how it has allowed you to express your personal fandom through support.
0: Sure. You know, Trek FM doesn't ask for uh, a a subscriber fee. And as a listener and someone who consumes a lot of Trek FM, it's a great way uh, for me uh, to To get involved in the network, to to give, so that uh, I can continue to bring uh, great Star Trek content out every day we've got shows dropping every day out there on the network and it's a great way for our listeners to get involved in the network to help us uh with the tremendous cost of uh of producing the content that our that our listeners enjoy every day on a day-to-day basis there are multiple levels to get involved you can give as little as a dollar and that dollar goes a long way you can you can give uh $5 $10 $25 $50 Tremendous perks all the way, uh, all the way around exclusive content, early content. There's artwork out there uh, by our fantastic uh, art director, Aaron Harvey, that is available to our patrons. Uh, Take advantage, of course, opportunities to work with uh, Will and the rest of the content development team uh, to be an associate producer of uh, of Trek FM. And, of course, uh, Will, you mentioned earlier the roundtable, a great opportunity for our uh, patrons to get involved, to get on mic, and to uh, become a producer of great Trek FM content.
4: Yeah. Another opportunity that you have there is the patron zone. Yes. Uh, Chris, Christopher Jones has set up a great website for early access behind the scenes bloopers. Uh, Right now, uh, enterprise fans, if you are, can access the patron zone or if you, Uh, contribute at a level to access the patron zone, you get to see Matthew rushing and Christopher reenact what it would look like if the Columbia and the enterprise crew were having a argument. Basically season five. Right. Right. Basically (laughs) it was, it was which ship is better and it is so funny. So if you log into your, to the patron zone there, uh, when you're a member of Patreon.com and you're contributing to Trek FM, you get a, it's password protected. So I highly encourage getting access. Uh, it just expands your fandom even that much more.
1: And then, well, could you please tell us a little bit about the roundtable because that's pretty much your level of expertise here on Trek FM and where you put a lot of your effort.
3: Sure. So the roundtable is uh, a way for our patrons and our hosts to be able to talk about anything Star Trek in a very casual free-flowing environment it's for patrons that donate at the $15 level and it's just a great way for you to you know be on mic and to have your voice heard literally and it's just a great way and I've and I've been doing it for a while now and I enjoy it every time uh, I do I think everyone here has actually been on the round table at least once and it's really great because we get to meet so many people that we that we hear we, won't, we wouldn't normally hear we just kind of read their comments online but to have that type of face-to-face interaction, it's its fantastic, and I think the program has been incredibly well-received. We've added a second roundtable. Uh, Christopher Jones has started doing the second roundtable, so I think it's a really terrific time to really jump in. If you want to be a part of Star Trek conversation, this is the best way to do it. And I can only imagine the types of conversations we're going to have when Star Trek Beyond's released, when we have the new series. It's going to be very exciting. So check us out if you can. And if you can donate at the $15 level, please do so and and join the conversation. It's
2: going to be beyond exciting.
1: (laughs) Well done, Jeff. Well done. There's actually one new way that you can help express your fandom and support Trek FM at the same time. If you go to redbubble.com and type Trek FM in the search field, you will see... Exclusively cool Trek FM gear. Trek FM emblazoned logos on t shirts and on hoodies. Artwork that is just absolutely incredible, designed by our very own art director, Aaron Harvey, who has done a phenomenal job just creating this fantastic and unique brand for Trek FM. So please check that out again. That's redbubble.com. Type in Trek FM in the search field, and you will see just a myriad of fantastic designs. Designs that actually speak to you. They represent specific shows. You can do that on t shirts again, hoodies. You can do it on your phone cases. They're fantastic. When you do it, please take a picture of that and post it on the Babel Conference because we would love to see how you wear your support for the network. And thank you, as always, as always, to our associate producers. They are both here on the show with us, and you've heard them throughout the course of this show. And that's Floyd and Mike for their support of the network through Patreon. And you can find both of them on the Babel Conference. Trek FM's dedicated Facebook listeners page. Now, if you'd like to get in touch with us here at the network on Trek FM, you can always find us on Trek FM slash contact and look in the sidebar on the show page. You can also go to speakpipe.com slash Trek FM and leave us a voice message. We would love to hear from you and we would love to be able to talk about whatever voice message or whatever you would like to suggest for us to talk about on the air. We'd like to stay in contact with you and make sure that you can help craft whatever you'd like to talk about on the show with us. You can also contact us through Twitter at TrekFM, Facebook, facebook.com slash TrekFM, and as we have mentioned many times on this show, the Babel Conference. Type Babel, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, or go to our website at TrekFM and click Discussion right there on the menu bar. Now, before we leave, I would like for all of the guests here to be able to tell you how to contact them, just in case you want to, like, Chat about Trek, talk about what we've heard on the show, or just to get in general contact information with them to make sure that you are expressing your fandom, maybe learn a little bit more about the Patreon program or how you can get involved. So let's go around the horn here one more time. Jeff, please tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you across subspace and the interwebs.
2: Well, I uh, have uh, Twitter at Hardlander. I'm also on Facebook. I'm on the Babel Conference all the time. Very easy to find me on there. I post frequently. I think I probably posted like six or seven times already today. And also uh, Trekopedia.com. We mentioned it a few times. Uh, It's been called the Grand Unified Theory of Trek. And right now I'm working on a couple of major project pages. One of them is a comprehensive listing of every single Starfleet, Starship ever mentioned. And all of the shows, movies, books, games, comics, everything. And another one is a listing of every single story, be it the, uh, the the episodes, the films, the novels, the comics, the games, everything in chronological order. Uh, some of them that take place in multiple time periods are broken up with separate entries per time period. From the Big Bang all the way through to uh, the the last one farthest in the future, that's probably Shockwave Part Two. You're uh, truly
4: a nerd's nerd, Jeff. Jeff, I've got to say, I I was looking at that the other day. That is huge, dude. In and chronological I'm, order, that is amazing.
2: <laughs> and and I'm barely getting started because uh, the other day it was only like on the first or second season of Enterprise. I just finished before the show, updating it through the end of the third season.
1: And most importantly, Jeff, most importantly, you will also be able to find Jeff as my co-host on Standard Orbit.
2: Yes. Just and here as the uh, future co-host on uh, Warp 5. That's right. You'll be in That's two right. timelines simultaneously.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Running so, from Daniels. How about you, Mike?
0: <laughs> well, uh, here on the network, I'm co-host, as, as was previously mentioned, of Metatrex, a Star Trek philosophy podcast right here on Trek.fm along with uh, my esteemed co-host, Zachary Frueling. Uh I'm on Facebook uh, in the Babel Conference all the time. On Twitter, my uh, username, cmichael1701.
3: And Will? Well, you can always find me on Twitter at, at Boomer BoomerNiner. Uh, you can also find me in the Babel Conference with most of these uh, uh, fine gentlemen here. And you can always drop me an email at will.win at, at trekfm. And you can always catch me on the roundtables that we hold each month, just talking all things Trek. So hopefully get to chat uh, with you on any of those venues. And last but not least,
4: Floyd. Yeah. You can find me in the Babel conference. Uh, I'm in there just about every day, either reading or, or posting something else that we might say is some listeners might be under the impression that this is, Norm's and Will's last show, but I've got to say, they have put in their transfer notices, but they haven't been stamped yet or signed by the Admiral. <laughs> so they're still going to be here for a few more shows. So, listeners, if you're thinking that this was the signing off, you know, the way that was being led, that's not how, that's not the case.
1: Well, we've slipped in a big bottle of Aldebaran whiskey in for those transfer papers from Forrest. So, you know, he'll drink a little bit, probably put him to the side. You'll, hear us for a couple more episodes before we make our official sign-off. But yes, um, you're right, Floyd. Uh, we will be here for a little bit of time working in that transition and uh, working in that refit so we can get to that really awesome Doug Drexler-designed NX-01 with the secondary hull. So that will be our our project moving forward. Um, as for me, uh, you can always find me on the Babel Conference. You can find me on Twitter at Norman Lau. That's N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. And you can find me as an executive producer on Trek FM and a proud sponsor of the network through
3: Patreon.com. So, thanks everyone for listening, and join us again next time here in the conference room for another episode of Warp 5.